I recently, I guess two weeks ago, I watched a Steve Jobs biopic, biopic, however you say that, and I'll be honest, I was never a fan of Steve Jobs. The genius founder of Apple not only had a reputation for being pretty self-absorbed, often rude, but he also helped to bury our world in digital technology. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't feel buried, but in many ways, we feel like it. And I'm saying this as someone who built websites for 20 years. And I couldn't see the downsides for most of that time. Uh, I know we can't put that genie back in the bottle, and in some cases we shouldn't want to. We've had many great benefits from technological advances and even from digital technology. But man, what a world we live in, right? It's, it's complicated. And I bring up Steve Jobs because of something that he said in a well-traveled uh, commencement speech at Stanford University in 2005. And I was reminded how simple and yet profound what he said is. And he tells the story of dropping out of college which is funny because he's giving a commencement speech at Stanford, right? He dropped out of college before auditing a calligraphy writing class. That's, he only took the class because he was mildly interested in it. And, uh, but it turns out that what he learned significantly influenced Apple's approach to design and typography. It, it um, was a distinctive in Apple's advance. So he, how could he have known that this calligraphy class was going to affect uh, you know, the future like that. He didn't. His reflection was this. You can't connect the dots looking forward only by looking backward. You can't connect the dots looking forward only by looking backward. That calligraphy class really mattered. Incidentally, my first paid art job was writing names in calligraphy on diplomas for my high school in 1992. That calligraphy mattered to me too because I made $50 which in today's money is like $50. <laughs> so Jobs continued his speech by saying, you have to trust the dots will connect in your future. You have to trust something. You have to trust your gut or destiny or karma or whatever because believing that the dots will connect down the road gives you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? I think we're now looking back to 2005 and connecting some dots that aren't so fortunate and that we never would have imagined would brought us where we are today. And I don't know if Jobs ever read Jesus' words, uh, John 14 or any of them. I hope that he heard from Jesus. But either way, it sounds like he understood something of this John 14 message. Jesus' disciples are actually being called to trust that the dots of what he's already said and done are going to connect meaningfully with their future when it arrives. The bad news is Jesus is going away. He's already said it, uh, you know, in the verses preceding this. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Now he's saying it again. He's going to go. But the really good news is they're going to have serious help living in the future as it comes, connecting the dots to everything that he said and that he's done. Until now, this is what Jesus' own ministry has been. It's been a ministry of, if you will, connecting dot after dot of Israel's story in his teaching and in his healing. He's fulfilling prophecy. He's showing his followers. He's showing the crowds how the dots of that longer story, complicated story, man, they connect forward to him. The story of Moses and of Abraham, David, Elijah, Isaiah, even Adam and Eve. 
that he's going away is very, very troubling for his disciples. And they don't even know how it will happen yet. It's already troubling just knowing he's going. And if you read the whole chapter, you read a little further back, you find out that Peter's really struggling with it, right? He's struggling. Thomas freaks out a little bit. And Philip tries to bargain with Jesus a little bit. And then in our reading today, the not slimy version of Judas just needs more details. He needs to understand. They're used to Jesus being there to answer their questions. They've built their whole lives around it. And he's going away. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a situation where what you thought was relatively stable and sustainable all of a sudden feels vulnerable? It feels unpredictable. That is this. This is where they are. How are they, these ordinary blokes, going to understand and tell this massively important story? This depends on him. How are they going to have confidence to keep going? In what will they trust? They have to trust in something. Are they going to be worried? Are they going to be uptight? Are they going to be scared all the time? How are things going to be okay now? Have you ever asked that question? How are things going to be okay now? Before we dive into Jesus' words, I want you to consider something especially encouraging. Before we look at how Jesus promised them a dot-connecting ministry beyond himself, listen to this. God has always been helping his people do this. It didn't start with Jesus. Israel always experienced, I mean, a pretty precarious present, it seems like, at least in the story as we read it. It was always on the precipice of something. They, 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 there was an uncertain future. And that was pretty standard for them. So the Lord God gave them what? This rich and, and rhythmic way of looking back to make sense of things. A way of ordering their common lives, a way of teaching their children the history of His love and faithfulness. A way of remembering. He gave them a way of experiencing Him in worship and in sacrifice that, that even stoked the fire of their imaginations with sort of the poker of the past, if you will. He kept pointing them back. He kept connecting the dots. And when that wasn't working, he sent the prophets. He had to turn it up to 11, right? You might say the prophet's basic message was this. You've forgotten the Lord. You've forgotten who you are and where you've been. So don't be surprised by who you become and where you find yourself. So the prophets were helping them connect the dots. We know that Israel tried to trust in many, many things. And it cost them dearly. But the Lord helped them return to Him. The Lord helped them to trust through a culture of remembrance. The Lord was turning time and space, even the little tents that they would set up blowing in the winds of the wilderness. This time and space was a connection to the divine promise of salvation. So what Jesus is telling His disciples in our gospel today is simply the next chapter of the same story. The continuation, the next expression of the same work of the same faithful triune God. Long-suffering and patient and wise. This time it will be the Holy Spirit. Uniquely connecting the dots after Jesus is killed, after He is buried and resurrected, and after He ascends in glory. And so we're right on the edge of that. This Thursday is Ascension Day. And then next Sunday, the first Sunday after Ascension... We will just dive into this and think about what it means that Jesus has ascended. And what's he doing now? 
So our gospel picks up in verse 21, a reading today, and I want to begin there, and I'm going to walk through this if you want, uh, you know, if you want to follow along or if you have your Bible, you can open the order, or you can open the order of service and follow with me. Jesus says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, the way this reads, it can be confused with an if-then sort of situation, an if-then kind of thing, conditional. Something like, if you love me by keeping my commandments, then my Father will love you in return, and then I will love you, and then I will be seen by you. How many of you sort of read it that way, heard it that way? But that's not actually it. Let me explain quickly. And the truth is that Greek is pretty sparse here, so we're having to kind of put it together a little bit. Um, but first of all, this is where the first clue comes in of, of what's really happening here. Uh, the word that's translated keep, how many of you kind of probably heard that as obey? If you obey my commandments, then you love me. It's actually not the same word. It's not, it's not associated with that. The word is tereo. It means guard, to guard something. So it might be clear to translate it this way. He who guards the commandments I've given him is loving me. Who's guarding my word is loving me. And secondly, Jesus has already laid solid tracks, a context, right, for them to understand this, uh, you know, what's going on here. In his preceding verses, he's really just reiterating here uh, the fact that there is this dynamic love between father and son into which they are being invited and that love that they have will be expressed in guarding what he's given them. Jesus is saying this is how it's working, not what happens after this and after this and after this. His disciples are being drawn up. They're being activated by this love of God that speaks and acts to save. It's kind of like this. We talk about this in our worship. What's already true in heaven, Jesus is saying, will be true in them. This redeeming love is going to be true for them on earth. They're going to keep seeing and they're going to keep making sense of Jesus. How? By guarding the story, guarding the story and the teaching. And now here again, Judas, not the gross one, he needs some clarification. He's trying to understand, and he interjects, wait, how are you going to do this? How are you going to manifest yourself to us and not the world? It's a really practical question, right? Because, after all, Jesus, everybody else can see and hear you just like us. How are we going to know you're there and other people won't? Because he's been interrupted, Jesus um, just patiently starts over. In verse 33, if anyone loves me, he will guard my word. He will keep my word. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Which is another analogy of the intimacy that's coming for them with the Father. Jesus is actually just kind of putting another coat of paint on it. They are the guardians of the gospel. And those who don't care, so he, he turns the coin to the other side, those who don't care to guard his story, they don't truly care about him. They're not in the flow of what God has been doing. So as he goes on to say in verse 24, so important, this word isn't mine, but the Father who sent me. So you see the thread running. You see that what Jesus is about to do is exactly what the Father's always been doing. It's the same eternal truth, the same dots. And so Jesus continues, and he answers the not sleazy Judas's question. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything and bring to your remembrance everything that I have said to you, or all things. So the answer to Judah's question is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, you're not going to lose me. You're not going to lose the plot. In fact, some things are going to make even more sense. So what I want us to just look at right here is the two everythings, the two all things that the Holy Spirit's going to do. Two everythings that the Holy Spirit will provide. First of all, the Spirit is going to take over from Jesus and continue to teach them everything they will need to know. They are going to receive some revelation from the Holy Spirit. Obviously, it's not going to be encyclopedic stuff. He doesn't mean like quantum mechanics or animal husbandry or Polynesian boat making. It's not like everything that you might want to know about everything. It's what you need to know. It's existential, right? In Steve Jobs' words, it's the something in which to trust. That's what you're going to receive, the confidence you're going to need to follow the heart of God. So the second everything, the Holy Spirit will help them remember everything from Jesus' ministry what he said. Because how, you know, for three years of, of sayings and three years of action, how in an oral tradition culture are they going to provide clarity and consistency? The Holy Spirit is going to provide this in recall. The Spirit is going to bring it back, and they're going to write it down. And when everything goes sideways, and after Jesus is resurrected, after Jesus ascends bodily, the Lord God will do what he's always been doing. And this time, he will do it by the Spirit. So in case it's not obvious right now, let me just say this. This is how, friends, for two millennia, that Jesus' followers have trusted in the Holy Scriptures. The Scriptures as the product of the Spirit's two everythings. Bringing Jesus' teaching forward, which came forward from the work of the Lord God, and then also particularly in that first generation, continuing to teach what Jesus had for them. There's more that he had to tell them, but he had to go away. And so the Spirit would recall and clarify the same gospel message in every era. The disciples trusted Jesus on this. It was hard. But they trusted in how he said it would work out after he went away. They did guard his word. They guarded it with their lives. And we, two millennia later, we trust that the Spirit did exactly what Jesus said the Spirit would do. And He's still doing it through His Word. As 21st century Christians, we are still listening to the Holy Spirit's reminders in the Word and even a fresh but faithful shaping of Jesus' first century teachings that are relevant to our 21st century lives. Our historic and our loving and our guarding embrace of the Holy Scriptures and the church's insistence on its primacy, they are really just the ways we take Jesus seriously in John 14. He said this was how it was going to work. It's the way we are said to love Him, to guard His Word, to make it the center of our understanding, of our confidence, the something in which we're to trust. When I was coming into ministry in the early 2000s, the buzzword in the church was relevance. Any, any of you guys remember that? Everything was, is it relevant or is it not relevant? And if I heard the word relevant again back then, I just thought I might leave the ministry. Everybody seemed to be reacting to the idea that the church was no longer in conversation with the culture 
and therefore unable to connect. It was valid. It was a valid concern. And despite the smoke machines and skinny jeans, some really good things happened as a result of the relevance movement. We confronted this dated notion that most Americans knew all the Sunday school Bible stories, that they had had the flannel graph like some of you. I didn't have it, but, you know, and had been to VBS, and that they would show up in neckties and pantyhose on Sundays, right? And they would, because they, that's what we've always done. And the quest for relevance challenged the idea that biblical ethics were synonymous with a certain kind of politics, and that the kingdom of God was synonymous with American history. And so this is an example, and we found ourselves there, it really is an example not of how truth evolved, but of how it was recovered. It was recovered, an example of how the Holy Spirit reconnects a sleeping church to the dots, to the biblical dots, to the Spirit Himself, helping us find our way, even when we're supposedly staring right at the map. And the church has always, by its own sense of conviction, said that we've always been staring right at the map, and it's like, maybe you're holding it too closely. So we, we got some of that. But here's the thing that I feel to a great degree in the church. You know, we, we have a, a burden of continuing to be in conversation with the culture. We still need to be on Mars Hill. We still need to be speaking the language. But I will say this, as the late modern era kind of leads us to new heights of just incoherence and new heights of anxiety when we're supposedly figuring it all out without God, I've come to feel that the burden of relevance is actually on the culture. We have to ask the question, is this very distracted and hypersensitive world we've made, is it relevant to this, this timeless human pursuit of life and of liberty and of happiness? Or is it killing us? Is this overreactionary and contemporary quest to just dismantle all the institutions, is that sustainable? Where will we find ourselves? Time will tell. And like the smartphones that Steve created and that we can't quit, even if we tried, it seems, we might find out that these aren't happy dots that we've got going on here. And that the future that we desire, we don't want them directly connected to these. We've trusted in the wrong something, which puts us right back in John 14, Jesus' promise of peace. This is the kind of peace that I, what I just described, is the kind of peace the world gives. It's really no different then. It's this fleeting assurance based on our own fickle sense of control or understanding. It tells us that peace is ours when we or others finally meet our, our, our own expectations, as exhausting as they are to us. It's a not-so-subtle idea, really, that spiritual peace is actually going to come on the other side of, of sorting God out. Questioning Him more than our own standards for sorting. Doubting Him more than we doubt our doubts. If we're realistic, life is probably not going to get simpler or easier for most of us. Do you think that's true? It's probably not going to get simpler or easier for most of us. And I think we all kind of expect that it's going to. You might be saying, well, don't tell me that. Well, it's not going to get simpler or easier for Jesus' disciples. Once we've landed that job, for instance, it might land on us. The one we've been working years to get. Once we've had a wedding then comes a marriage. Once children arrive, it can feel like we've, we're now having to give more of our hearts than hearts that we actually have to give. 
And then once the children have left, left uh, the nest on the wings of our prayers, right, our middle-aged bodies begin to raise some questions. Now that that part's over, it's like, oh. And then we begin to lose friends and family with more regularity, increasing frequency. All the while, we know we're here for a reason. It's not going to get simpler or easier for most of us. So where will we get our peace? In what or whom will we trust? For most of my young life, turmoil was my normal. Some of you know my story. And I was powerless to affect or change most of it. But let me just be a witness for a few seconds. Just let me talk to you as Seth, not Father Seth or Pastor Seth or the Reverend Canon Seth. Let me talk to you as a witness. Can I do that? I have found that these words that Jesus includes here to be not only comforting, but trustworthy and true. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. What is he saying? If the only peace we're living on is going to come from the circumstances of our lives, it's not going to be very peaceful. But we have something more. And so he can say to us, let not your hearts be troubled. And this is part, no, it's not part of, it's, it's the reason why we return to the dots that this table represents. We return to our remembrance that Jesus is present with us as he promised that he would be. And that whatever's happening out there, we still have a peace that's available to us. And I hope that in the same way I've said that these words have, tr- have tr- proven comforting, trustworthy, and true, I hope you'll be able to say the same. I hope you'll open your heart to his peace again today. His love is still dynamic and relentless, even when life isn't simple or easy. And his love is still an invitation. And we're here today, again, to just hear the invitation and to respond. So as we come, pray for peace. I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know what... Maybe you're looking back in massive regret at some dots in your life that you wish weren't connected to your present. But I want to tell you, the Lord is still a redeemer. And he's still reminding us. And he's still loving on us with the same quality and expanse of love that he's always had for us. Whatever life holds. Do you believe it? Lord, help us to believe it. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.